touching the ground, I connect with all of life. Touching my heart, I awaken compassion for all life. You are listening to Anamkara, a friend on the journey, a podcast about life, the variety of lived spiritualities of the people around us, and how we are much more alike than different. I am your host, Brother Pax. Today my guest is Brother Luke. Luke is an ordained spiritual director, a certified meditation teacher, and he leads a nonprofit organization called Spiritual Journey Sitter in San Diego, California. Luke is passionate about helping people work through conditioning and learn practices that uncover and express their true self. You can learn more about Luke and his work at the link in the show notes. I had a great time interviewing Luke as he felt like a brother in the deconstruction journey and finding a way as an interspiritual practitioner. So come walk with us for a moment as you will hear Luke's story and his unique way. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it was great to have you. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to it. Is it warm and sunny there? It, it is sunny and by the rest of the U.S.'s standards, I suppose warm, but it feels cold to us here today. It's only like okay. 58. So Okay, that's very funny here in Oklahoma. We are 61. Ah, okay. It's, it's been really, really cold, so it's actually been nice. I'm like, I could wear shorts in this. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's jump right in. So tell us about your uh, religious background growing up. Yeah, I love it. Um, by the way, love love the whole essence and what you're trying to capture and, you know, the stories that you're working to capture. I think it's a really important thing. Uh, people do feel quite lost right now. Um, yeah, yeah. For myself, um, I'm a pastor's kid, grew up in the church, born and raised uh, in the church. Um, I was born in Miami, Florida. My parents were planting a church with a um, organization called Vineyard that came out of the Jesus People Movement, Calvary Chapel vibes. And so uh, I was born in Miami. We moved back to Indianapolis where my parents were from whenever I was a kid. They planted another church and really became kind of the main, uh, the first really like attractional mega church on the south side of Indianapolis. And so um, my history, even though it was charismatic, we didn't really practice that as much on a Sunday morning. It was more like midweek Wednesday night stuff. That's whenever you really busted out the anointing oil, you know? Uh And, uh, but my dad was, I always joke that, you know, his like holy trinity of pastors is like Rick Warren, Andy Stanley, and Bill Hybels, you know. So that gives you kind of an idea of the environment that I grew up in. It's very mega church, practical tips from the Bible sort of thing with a splash of speaking in tongues on Wednesday nights sometimes. Right. And um, as a teenager, did you hold to that? Did you believe the same way as your folks? Great question. Um, I think I've, I've always been really curious and 
you know, curiosity is what led me later into deconstruction. But originally it was just more of a, um, I think I, yeah, if you were to ask me, I would believe like them. Sure. But deep down within, I think I was always just sort of evaluating, lurking, like taking it in to process it all. Um, but I think, you know, if you would have cornered me, you know, uh, whenever I was a kid, I would have agreed. Yeah. And I've said the sinner's prayer and, and this, that, and the third, but I was always processing it because it, to be honest with you, and on the back side of this now, it always, I could always sense some level of, um, and my parents are really great and they're really loving and not, not really religious in a, in a big way, but there was still always a, a low key feeling of, um, an agenda. And I, I look back even as a kid with my own experience with my dad wanting to pray or sinners pray with me whenever I was six years old, there was this me not understanding really what I was doing, but I knew that it was pleasing to my authority figure. So I did that. Right. Um, but yeah, I think I, I did believe that, but whenever I was about 13, always more of a rebellious sort of kid, um, around 13, I, I started to do my own thing. I was always, I was into heavy underground death metal music and stuff, you know, and I'm a musician and just spent most of my time skipping out on church and, you know, smoking cigarettes in the back instead, uh, which evolved into other things <laughs> as I got older. But, you know, it's, uh, I, I was always seeking and searching and curious. Um, I felt safe regurgitating what was given to me um, but deep within, I never really felt like I like had like a, they always talked about the solid rock to stand on. You know, I never really felt like I had that. I was always curious, always looking at things and listening to music that really, uh, challenged the ideas of what I grew up in, you know, and the death metal and worlds and things it's, it's, it's very anti-religion in a lot of ways. And so influenced by the art culture as well too, in that, so so uh, just out of curiosity, did you still consider yourself a Christian at that point? Or were you just kind of floating? Um, I did consider myself a Christian for all intents and purposes. Uh, also, again, you know, my dad started this mega church. So like everybody at my school, every, you know, they all knew me as the pastor's kid. Um, and so like I felt some loyalty to Christianity by virtue of being just a PK. Um, but I had fantasies of calling myself an atheist in high school, you know, <laughs> I always thought that would be like, cool, you know, but I always still would articulate that I was a Christian. Yeah. And then, you know, which, um, I'm, please, I, I'll, you know, interject anywhere. I'll, I'll start getting on a tangent, but, uh, okay. my senior year of high school, I'd always went to public school. I had a much different pastor's kid experience being that my parent, my dad was more of a CEO than a pastor for a lot of people. And so like, you know, um, I later spoke at like a pastor's kids, uh, conference and or like, it was like at this thing with the breakout was for pastor's kids and like none of my jokes landed. I couldn't relate with anybody because everybody thought that the pastor's kids kind of did all the, the, the grunt work, you know, I didn't have to do any of that because our church was more like a corporation. So okay. um, right. whenever I was 18, though, uh, yeah, just about a different experience. Like 
I went from public school to a Christian school for my senior year because I couldn't graduate on time going to the public school. Um, so I convinced my parents to let me go to this Christian school that was in the basement of our church, actually. And uh, that's where I first was exposed to actual like Bible teaching that wasn't just like three points to be a better biblical husband, you know, or whatever German right, right. series that's going along <laughs> with TV shows, how it was in the late 90s and the early 2000s, you yeah. know. Um, and that's the first time that I had to take a Bible class and I had a teacher break down to me things. And that's the first time that I learned that there were other books of the Bible that weren't in the Bible and how the Bible was actually wow. put together and learned about the Nag Hammadi scriptures. That. That's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. And, and they didn't know that they were just feeding, you know, this curiosity. But I saw this whole side of Christianity then from my dad's really not an, an intellectual or doesn't really care about that. And I remember talking to him about like the councils. I'm like, the council of Alexandria and I see it. And he's like, I don't know about any of that. He didn't even care. That's what So at 18, my senior year of high school, I got really, that's whenever I could say like everything started for me to find my way into more of a deeper Christianity. So did you, I mean, I'm curious then because my journey in some ways was a little similar. I started Southern Baptist and I eventually became Catholic. Um, really? I don't know about St. Francis. Um, I, I started reading on the councils, that kind of stuff. Now, part of it was I was also struggling with being gay. So I thought I could be celibate. So there's like, two sides. I actually became a monk. Um, you and, did? Really? Yeah. And... At the same time, I always joke that if it had been a fully contemplative one, like, you know, Miss Merton, I never would have left. Um, it was fascinating. Did you ever feel a draw then reading this stuff and looking at more liturgical um, type churches? Liturgical type churches definitely made their way into my life um, later than, than that time period. Um, I think I was really looking for some real tradition. Um, and that was the liturgical element of things came after I went really into uh, like reformed Calvinism okay. theology, like, you know, like tulip, like the five points and all, all that <laughs> BS, you know, like, but I really, looking back, there was a few things that were attractive about that. Admittedly, hopefully your, your listeners won't be too mad at me, but I was a huge, like Mark Driscoll fan, Acts 29, <laughs> like, you know, would only read the ESV study Bible. Um, you know, if it was Spurgeon, it was gold sort of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, that's just where I was at. And and I think it was because a few different reasons. One, being from like more of the underground hardcore music scene, Mark Driscoll had a an aggressiveness about him that I didn't see in this very like corporate church right. land. Right. So I'm like, oh, he looks like he's like a front man of a of a band yelling at people. I right. think that's cool. And uh, like a prophet, you know, until you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like calling people out and telling right. them, you know, this, that, and the third. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm an open book. That's where I was at 12 yeah, years yeah. ago, you yeah. know, 13 years ago. Um, but it's deeper than that. It's, it gave an opportunity and this is where the liturgical thing came up as well is that prior to that, um, 
it gave a deeper tradition, sense of tradition about my faith that I wasn't exposed to from having a dad who just like got saved in the Jesus people movement. It was like, just go tell your story of salvation. And then like, hopefully people will, you know, be a better dad or what, you know what I mean? Right, um, yeah. It gave a sense of depth. And so whenever I started to outgrow some of the Calvinistic things, um, I started to look into, well, what, what even more so than that, it, what, what's important in its practices. And that's what the liturgical church really gave was a groundwork for practices for experience, but not experience in the charismatic way of, you know, shaking and falling down and words of knowledge and, sure. you know, lots of drum toms and stuff. Like it, it was a very methodical experience that I, I dug into for just a little bit, you know, and some of the Episcopal yeah. side of things. So, so how did, uh, what started your deconstruction journey? Um, the deconstruction, I, I really think it goes back to like, I've just always been a really curious person and I've never been satisfied with, uh, whenever I try to figure like Calvinism, I, I felt like I kind of, I cracked the code. And I'm like, what's next? There's no way the end of this whole thing is that God is this really big jerk that chooses to send people to hell. There's no way that's got to be. saved and you're not. <laughs> right. You're the frozen chosen. There's no way that's it. And um, But what sparked my deconstruction journey um, was, it, I, I look at it as kind of like a fader switch than a light switch. You know, for some people it's like, they had to interact or they just, they got some information and then they're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that the Bible was sort of like crafted by a bunch of dudes who just decided what fit their narrative, you know? Um, I, I kind of gathered things over the years and then um, I was listening to, specifically, I think when it broke into that is uh, I was listening to a reformed podcast that my friend convinced me that I should listen to it and I'm like with all due respect I'm like these guys are just nerds I don't I don't resonate with these people and they had a guy on the show um, because this guy on the show uh, as a guest uh, was from a podcast called bad Christian and the bad yeah, yeah. Christian podcast which you're probably familiar with yeah, yeah I know they're disbanded or whatever but you know I knew of the band Emery because I liked all of the solid state and tooth and nail bands and all this and so I knew of their band but they believed that you know you could cuss you know or whatever and I'm like well that's not revolutionary to me at all like that's part of my language that's how I talk um, yeah. and so he came on their podcast and was like I just felt like I resonated with him or something like well what's his podcast started listening to the bad Christian within a couple weeks. They said at the end of an episode, like next week, Joey's going to tell us why he doesn't believe in hell anymore or something. And I'm like, that is crazy. <laughs> I got to hear this. And then it started with, you know, uh, annihilationism, um, which honestly, I've, I, I never really fully bought into the, the theology of eternal conscious torment anyways, um, which we can talk about that too, to be fun if you want. But the first sort of breaking point was just having some language around and some, frankly, at that point in time in my life, having some biblical ammunition, if you will, to have these conversations with my peers. Uh, okay. So that was really the, the thing that sparked that all while I was getting ready to move across the country to plant the church. So. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, you were going to go plant your own church. 
that's how I ended up in San Diego from Indianapolis. Right. Yeah. All right. Almost seven years ago. Wow. So the church that you're going to plant is that, um, was it going to be a vineyard church? Was it going to be different? What? It was going to be a vineyard church because at that point, uh, that was just my connections and, and whatever, which, you know, in retrospect, like they don't have really money for that sort of thing either. So I'm like, I should have went with somebody that like could actually have supported us. You know, they were just kind of like, let us know if you need anything, man. You know, and that was really kind of the extent of it. Um, but yeah, we moved out here um, to plant a vineyard church and um that was a whole nother thing, but it was in the middle of a deconstruction. And I realized in retrospect that um, what I really needed to get away from was um, not get away from, but I needed a better environment to evolve into who I believe I, I am and where I was serving uh, as a youth pastor then at my dad's church, which we didn't connect that dot, but I ended up becoming youth pastor at my dad's church with a, you know, a hope for me to be the successor of his church. And it, I felt like somebody just flipped a light switch on the hallway of my life. Like, and at that point in time, we had bought a house. My wife and I had been married for some years. We had nice cars. I thought maybe if we have a kid, that'll help me not want to leave here. And uh, so by the time I'm like 23, 24, it's like I have a youth pastor job that pays well with benefits. I'm supposed to take over this church. I have a house. We have BMW and Infinity in the driveway have a kid on the way hey life's great except i feel like i have kind of an imposter syndrome going on that and that i i i actually didn't go through the character development to actually do this job well and that's helped steward people through their spiritual unfoldment like you know i worked jobs when i was younger but at, at 20 21 i started into full-time ministry and then wow. kind of just had the carpet rolled out for me um but my inner true guide my inner compass knew that i was cheating the system and there was a level of nepotism there and so i removed my so part of church planting was the only really um worthy cause if you're in ministry and you have a quote clear calling on your life and you have quote the goods you know of teaching right. and pre i was given a platform really young really quick preaching to a lot of people before really having the experience and wisdom to back it and um the only worthy thing that you could do is go plant another church to reach more people and so i felt like church planting was my you know my my card to leave and to move across the country and uh so i took that and i felt like i needed to remove myself from from that trajectory for my life because even until last week my dad still tried to get me to come back and take over this church you know wow. Wow. I'm like i had to be real honest with him i'm like listen man i'm like a complete heretic <laughs> does, so, does he know he's in denial yeah okay, okay. <laughs> so for those that may not be familiar with you know listening to you what do you believe now where where are your beliefs at right now yeah um god jesus afterlife the whole shebang dude this is fun man um <laughs> i don't get asked these questions too well, often no, anymore i miss the theological conversations sometimes even though i don't believe like i used to <laughs> yeah and uh, dude honestly i'm like really curious with where you're at and you mentioned like the liturgical and like catholic monk and so i'm me doing a podcast 
having podcast history too. I'm like, I want to interview you, you know? Absolutely. Like, you know, Absolutely. We get straight up. But yeah, I think that it took me a long time to square theology because there's a lot of, especially being a pastor's kid, even though my dad wasn't very, my parents weren't very like theological or intellectual and that there was still the, the, the basics were there of evangelicalism and very prominent, you know, the Bible inerrant and the blood of Jesus and um, only one way and very much the basics of your standard evangelicalism uh, was present. And so uh, it took me a long time to reconcile a lot of things within me. Um, but the places that I've come to now is that, especially with Jesus, like I look at Jesus as more of a guru than anything for me. Um, whenever I left a lot of that, and even out here in San Diego, whenever we stepped away from the church planting initiative and just began to just live life and go through that deep, dark night of the soul for those years and just my curiosity going and not reading the Bible, not reading anything Christian, really digging into Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism, uh, where I live, there's a self-realization fellowship in the next town okay. over. So yeah. like Yogananda is very prevalent here. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. and he brings Jesus into it from a very Hindu Vedanta perspective. Yeah. Yes, he does. And in, in a way that, you know, makes evangelical skin crawl, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> um, but I would say like part of my, my main theology, like if I could reference it, Yogananda, like that's a very good understanding of, for me, like looking at Jesus through the lens of this is a guru to the West. We just didn't have language for that. We didn't have an awareness for what this was when he speaks about I and the father are one. And if you've seen the father, you see me, but I, you know, uh, I have to have do the will of the father. The will I don't have that will like this very unity element to Jesus that is just kind of brushed over with this broad stroke of deity and evangelicalism. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah he was God. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. yeah go ahead. I, well, I, I was just thinking dialogue. about the, the Indian saint uh, Ramakrishna, you know, at times he would talk as if he were divine. But other times he'd be like, well, I'm just the machine. God is the operator. And yes. so that, that both that's like, all right, it's happening at the same time. You're fully God in a way, but you're also. <laughs> and it goes to a, a, a Christian Orthodox doctrine, which is fully God, fully man. Yeah. 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 And it's like, you know, we have a lot of this baked into the Christian tradition already. I just think we're so culturally tone deaf like it makes us look at it through such a lens that fits our understandings and and everybody does that you know like i'm not yeah. even you know calling people out anymore on that it's just like hey everybody's doing that or else there wouldn't be baptists and charismatics and catholics and you know orthodox there wouldn't be all of this and looking at the beauty of the nuance that it's it's god expressing god's self through all of these different traditions, these different ways. And, um, you know, there's a, I've really hung close to the golden thread idea that there's the golden thread that ties all of the religions together. And from a very exoteric level, like they're not going to square up. And there's, 
extreme nuance and differences and all of that. But from an esoteric level, we understand that there is there is a singular message that's running through the heart of all the traditions. Uh, so that's where I've come to. And, you know, what a journey, what a journey. And it's hard. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's like you I go back and forth for a little while until I finally like, OK, it, something just finally clicks and you, you can rest in that new way of thinking, a new way of being. What does your spiritual practice look like now? Yeah, uh, spiritual practice is like my main thing at this point. Um, you know, for me, beliefs are, um, you know, it's concepts and it's really easy for us to miss the essence of who we are or who the divine is or what we are to do here. Uh, we miss the essence because we get caught up in the images of things. And so I, I call it theological masturbation. It feels good <laughs> to talk theology, but it doesn't actually produce any fruit. So, <laughs> dude, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> And, and it, it takes a lot of energy too, you know, and it usually goes quick. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, well, now what do I do? You know, like, yeah. what do I actually go do? So spiritual practice for me is, uh, and I use this language a lot, is like, I've really come to the conclusion that meditation is everything. Um, meditation is, in my opinion, the primary vehicle that we understand the depth, not only of who we are, but the infinite of who the divine is. And so, you know, years ago when I was learning meditation, it's like when people would emphasize that, I'd be like, it was just sitting in silence to me, but now I've developed these practices of really, it isn't exactly like, but it's similar to like a transcendental meditation where you're going deep beneath the waves, beneath the image and the concept connecting to this very expansive uh, essence ground of being, right? As Tillich would say, like you're connecting and becoming aware of that. And so meditation has been the key crucial element of practice for me. I've had a lot of other experiences from psychedelics to, I was part of a cannabis company for a little while, um, you know, so plant medicines, but also too, like between like thought and reading and prayer, and to me, everything begins and ends with, with the element of meditation. Yeah, yeah. What, what advice would you give to someone who was on the deconstruction journey and just lo slowly losing their beliefs but not quite sure where to go or what to do? Mm. Man, it really is depending on where they're at in the deconstruction journey, and, and I've I've really seen that there is different layers and different, as we know, different nuances to that. Um, it would really be kind of the two main elements of deconstruction that I see is um, like an ecclesiological deconstruction, just from the church. Like they don't want the box and the form and the system anymore, but they still hold to some pretty, you know, uh, orthodox beliefs. And that's totally fine. But I think it's defining are you deconstructing from what? Because that deconstruction is just taken apart, yeah. right? So what what element of this are you, and it might, for me, it started with that, um, yeah, even before too. it was like, I just feel like us rallying 3000 people in here every week is like not doing what we're supposed to do. But uh, that led to then a theological deconstruction. 
And so to the one who is listening that is, you know, frustrated with the box, I think that it's, that's very crucial. And I would say, look into some other forms of traditions, like very liturgical traditions, or even what used to be more popular. What I went to for a while was like the house church model. Um, but that has a tendency, in my opinion, to get a little culty, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to each their own. But if somebody's the Kool-Aid, <laughs> dude, yeah, don't drink the Kool-Aid and, uh, you know, just yeah. keep your kids close. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally joking. Um, I have two kids, uh, by the way, too, and wife and it's deconstruction as a parent um, is really a journey as well, too. So yeah. a lot of people have kids. They want to know what they do. And this is kind of to that point of the church structure. Like for us, it was like our kids like going to Sunday school or kids zone or whatever they yeah. want to brand it and like pulling them out of that to not have them indoctrinated about certain things was difficult because it was just the practice of going to church that they really enjoyed. And so that's difficult as a parent. Um, but if people are deconstructing theologically, I think the thing is, is like, learning this element of you're not going to just when and if this idea that your concepts line up just right this kind of illusion of that you're never going to have your concepts just right that you feel at peace like you're going to just at some point have to learn peace in the chaos of your ideologies being all over the place and that was a big thing for me. It was like, I have to be okay here and now. And sometimes I feel like things square up in my mind and sometimes they don't. And learning it all belongs, everything belongs, like, you know, good old Richard Rohr saying, and it's true. It all belongs. It's okay. And being at peace regardless. It's like the, the Buddhist teaching of, you know, impermanence and everything changes. And, yes. and, when, when beliefs are taken apart, you may, like you said, some days you kind of feel like, all right, maybe I'm, I found a place of rest. Haha. Ha. Wait till tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. That it's a journey and not a destination. So yes. It's, it's like the spiral time. dynamics element, right? Like yeah. you, you keep revisiting this stuff, but you're a little bit more equipped each time, you know? And that's what I was, I had a confrontation with my dad about some things and um, was talking to my wife about it, that it's like, it's not really any new topic of discussion from six, seven, eight years ago. I just am way more centered and confident and grounded and equipped to just have a conversation from a more mature perspective. And that de-escalates things tremendously. Um, how was the deconstruction on your wife? Was she going through the same journey or did it happen later before? She if was, you're comfortable sharing. I know yeah, like, no, she would, she'd totally be cool with it as well. But she was definitely, um, a lot of the things were easy for her. She never really liked small groups or, you know, going like, we actually met when we were young. We're like family friends. So like her cousin was my best friend growing up. My dad used to party with her aunts before they were all saved. Right. So like <laughs> they're kind of family friends. When we moved back from Miami and started the church, her whole family just started going to my dad's church. And uh, so we had our first date at five years old. Our parents took us to the circus together, you know, but then 
she didn't come around for years and then in high school she started coming to the youth group that's where we met again but she never liked youth group never liked church didn't really get it uh even though she was brought up very conservative um so that was an easy thing for her to be like yeah i see through it all um theologically uh you know she's always really learned from wherever i'm at um and just sort of like it's it's never been as it's a big deal to her but it's also like she's an explorer too that's why we had a two-year-old and a six-month-old and she was down to sell our house and cruise across the country and just start over with knowing nobody you know like she's down for the ride so i think that's helped her in her you know theological and spiritual journey too is like if something is is deeply meaningful and and you can sense the evidence of its goodness you know a tree by its fruit then yeah and incorporate that into life so she's been very much along for the journey but for a lot of people and maybe some of your listeners i've met with people over the years that you know they were experienced going through a divorce because of deconstruction yeah yeah it's it lands with different I, we were just at a super bowl party last night with a friend who went through divorce as a result of his beliefs changing and hanging out with rob bell you know <laughs> rob will do it yeah yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because like I, I read Love Wins like now yeah. and I'm just like, this is PG, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I got to hear him a few months back though. And he's talking like a Hindu now. Really? Oh yeah. I've not caught up with Robin. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know him, but I've not caught up with his stuff. He spoke, of course, you know, he's traveled with um Eat Pray Love, what is her name? They oh. travel and speak together a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, he he talked about the inner witness and observing and the, yeah. the God and the self and the one and the waves of change. Oh my gosh, it was just crazy. I was like, this is totally blowing my mind that it's Rob Bell saying this. So, yeah, that's my language, dude. I love that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, you, and what I go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think and that that's the similar, a very similar route that I feel like I've taken and is just more from an interspiritual approach, you know, right, and right. that like making the connections from a lot of the teachings that when you unbuckle them from all of their stuff is really beautiful, universal truths that I see, you know, in the Buddha that I see, especially whenever I started reading the Tao, I was like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. Lao Tzu like preceded Jesus by 500 years in a lot of these concepts, you know. So, yeah. Um, do you consider yourself interspiritual? Yes. Yeah, I definitely don't identify or or claim the the title of Christian any longer. Yeah, I know. I know. For me, I was like, well, I had to find another religion. I have to find somewhere I fit. And, Same. Yeah, and finally, kind of coming to that place of peace where I'm not going to fit anywhere. I've You've opened the floodgates of doubt and <laughs> you can't shut it again, no matter where you're at. And so I could take the good that I've learned from the way of Jesus. I could take the good that I've learned from, from Hinduism and, you know, just various traditions and somehow mesh them like a bunch of crazy, you know, Plato. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> and that, and you know, again, I'm not sure where your listeners may be, but for me at the beginning of this, I would have been very uncomfortable with who I am now. Yeah. Um, six, seven year ago, me would be like, I don't know that I want to end up 
where this guy is. Oh yeah, no. And it's like, if that's any other like piece of hope is that like, regardless of how you evolve, like the truth of who you are remains with you. And, and so people can trust that even to quote Jesus, the spirit of truth will lead you into all truth. And so allow, if any of these concepts or ideas or theologies or, you know, interspiritual, and I don't, if any of that scares us, allow that to be an opening and a doorway for inquiry. Why does that scare me? Yeah, just that I might be that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you miss community? I do. Um, Sorry about that. Um, I do miss community. Um, but I, I feel that there's so much opportunity for community in this day and age that that's kind of where the church is losing a little bit of its edge is it used to be this extremely, you know, relational commonplace for shared value and belief. And I think we have with the internet and then just with the hobbies and interests and there's just so much more opportunity for that to not just be around religion or spirituality but it's like shared common humanity so like i have beautiful community like we're not singing bethel songs together (laughs) you know but i don't want to sing bethel songs anyway so hey you know it works out but i do there is an element and that's why we are focused on what we're doing as a nonprofit is creating that community around some of these practices Um, we have a contemplative church that met for a year Uh, We had to land that plane a little bit and rethink some things because um, we weren't a very big community. And whenever you're a smaller community, there's, you know, certain opinions of bigger sway. And we had some folks that really were hoping to re-engage more of the charismatic than the contemplative. Um, And I just wasn't interested in that. And so we had to take some time away from that. And so we're looking at what it means to, to redo that again, but um, I've had exposure to, and I've had, you know, this other name registered with us for a while now called the spiritual journey center, mm-hmm. but I think better encapsulates what we want to do from a, a, a really a non-religious assumption. Um, anything that we do with our church, that's called current, um, anything that we do with that, it just seems like people bring a level of Christian expectation. And I really want to move towards a place of inquiry for what spirit's doing in people that has space beyond just the assumptive, you know, expectations of what I should say as the minister right. of that church. Right. So I've really adopted the spiritual director hat more so than a minister or a pastor because all of the assumptions that come with that. But my hope is to create community around spiritual practices again. Yeah. And for those um, who may not know what spiritual direction is, how would you describe it? Spiritual direction is like when you're on a road trip and you pull into town and you're looking for a place to get a good beer. So you ask a local where to go, uh, who's been there before. Um, a lot of times spiritual direction um, has an implication sometimes of a level of hierarchy and people that are going through deconstruction struggle with that a little bit like you're the director and I'm the directee. It's not really like that. It's more of like, I've been on this path of deconstruction now for seven, almost eight years. So I feel like I have a 
good handle on the terrain that I've been on. If you're on a similar terrain as well, I can help you navigate some of the some of the thorns and rocks that are on this path. So it's that just helping people on that journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I always use the Ramdas quote. You know, we're all just walking each other home. Love that one. Yeah, I've just been walking for a while, and for whatever I have can help, and whatever I have doesn't. I don't really. If you, <laughs> you know, it's like I don't feel like I have anything to give you that you don't already have it's just helping excavate what's already in you and that's what direction is it's pointing you back to who you are within love that so if someone wanted to follow or learn more about you where where should they look um well my website kind of connects you everywhere it's just lukebricker.com um and then you know on instagram um brother luke with no vowels uh, brthr dot luke um, on all the socials, and I switched from. I had a podcast for years called The Spiritual Nomad. I should mention, and that was birthed out of deconstruction because whenever I was here, um, planting a church, people were saying, "Who are you connecting with? You know, who's your target audience? You know, whatever." And I'd have this whole spiel about. The spiritual nomads, people who are spiritual, but they don't really have a place to fit in. I realized that's me, you know? So I started that podcast, but I feel like I've moved on to a different area. And Brother Luke just is kind of a play on old tradition of calling each other brother, but also that that's where I'm at on the path with people too. Like we're peers. We're all peers. We have different things to contribute and give. But so Brother Luke uh, is on all the socials if you want to connect and, um, do YouTube and stuff and offer spiritual direction and meditation training. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to be with here. Let me grill you with tons of questions. And Dude, I feel like we barely scratched the surface. We yeah, could talk forever. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, man, please have a great rest of your evening and thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much, Jeff. All right, thanks. Bye yeah. Bye. This has been another episode of Anamkara, a friend on the journey. Thank you for walking with me as we spent time exploring the varieties of religious and spiritual expressions out there. Won't you consider joining our Patreon? Get sneak peeks of what is to come, early previews, and soon to have some video footage from the interviews, as well as polls on what you would like to see cover in future episodes. Join our Patreon today. The link is in the show notes.